2: How's going? Welcome to episode number 546 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, July 9th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show. At Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network with team focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy Basketball if you're preparing for your dynasty drafts or whatever it is this summer. Locked On NBA, of course, has you covered with the national picture. Ben Golliver was on an episode recently with David Locke talking about the Clippers and the fallout from the Kawhi Leonard decision. And, of course, all the shows you can find on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Please, if you find a show you want to support, please subscribe, rate, review iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya, wherever else you get your podcast. It's very, very helpful for you to do that, and we appreciate it, appreciate it, that is, very, very much. All right, on today's show... In the time since we last talked on Saturday, breaking down the Kawhi Leonard news, the Raptors have done some stuff, and time moves uh, forever forward, and we'll just continue to move on until we're all dead in the ground, and uh, there's been some stuff the Raptors have done to move on from the Kawhi Leonard era. None of it is particularly sexy. In fact, some of it seems depressing, juxtaposed next to uh, news alerts about Kawhi Leonard leaving. Uh, but the, the, this is what we have to talk about now. So the Raptors, in the meantime, have signed Stanley Johnson, Ronda Hellish Jefferson, Terrence Davis. They've brought back Patrick McCaw. And I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. No, I'm not forgetting anybody. It's Matt Thomas was a little earlier on as well. But uh, to Join me to talk about all of these uh, underwhelming wings and much more from Raptors Republic, uh, one of the voices of reason of Raptors Internet. Although he needs to stop trying to trade Kyle Lowry, it's Anthony Doyle. Anthony, how's it going, man?
0: I'm doing. Well. I will try not to mention any Kyle Lowry trades on the podcast <laughs> today.
2: That is very much appreciated. Uh, just a heads up for everybody. <laughs> There is a bit of a delay between myself and Anthony. Anthony lives in uh, Yellowknife, which is, uh, you know, Internet and Yellowknife is Internet and Yellowknife. So please bear with us as there's a bit of delay. We should be fine, though. We won't talk over each other or anything like that. All right, Anthony. Let's get into this thing with the signings of Stanley Johnson, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, the return of Patrick McCaw... Which one of these signings, so we can throw Terrence Davis in there as well, the undrafted free agent out of Ole Miss, who the Raptors signed after he had one summer league game, uh, before which he said, I'm too good for a two-way contract, put up 22 points, and the Raptors signed him, which is badass as hell. Uh, of these four moves, Anthony, which one do you think will impact the 2019-20 Raptors the most, and why?
0: I think Rodney Hollis Jefferson will probably have the most immediate impact, just because he's already... rotation NBA player Mm -hmm. Um, he's not the best shooter but he's a guy who can defend he can play multiple positions he can step in and take some of those minutes because the 3-4 rotation is a little thin with really just OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam returning to fill a lot of those minutes and I think he's going to be playing a lot of minutes behind those guys but I think Terrence Davis is the best player of the group long-term. I've been talking to a lot of draft Twitter guys about Terrence Davis since the signing, and they all love him. A bunch of the guys who I talked to, Max Carlin and Ben Pfeiffer, both had him as one of the top 30 guys in that draft class. They thought he could have been a first-round talent, and he. it seems like he didn't want to be a second-round draft pick. He didn't want to have that non-guaranteed contract. He didn't want to go through all of that. He kind of did Fred Van's Leap thing where he bet on himself, and it's clearly paid off now with this contract with the Raptors.
2: Yeah, so with Terrence Davis, I truthfully don't know much about the guy. I've watched a few highlight videos. He looks pretty athletic, actually freakishly athletic. Um, He was like a 37% three-point shooter in his final year of college, four-year college guy, which kind of fits the bill for the Raptors. And he seems to be kind of a tenacious defender as well, which all seems to kind of fit into the bubble of what Raptor, what the Raptors kind of value when they're looking at prospects, except his shot seems to be a little bit further along than most of the guys they sort of hone in on uh, tend to be when they get their hands on them. So. Yeah, I think this is kind of an interesting pickup. Again, I don't profess to know much about Terrence Davis. I watched exactly zero seconds of him in college because that's how much I watch of most people in college, in particular people who went to Ole Miss. Um, But I've kind of, I think, reached the point with the Raptors development staff that if they pinpoint a guy like this... I kind of expect that there's a reason behind it and that, you know, they see something there that other teams missed, whether it's the same thing that they saw in Pascal Siakam that other teams missed or something similar with Fred VanVleet when they signed him after he went undrafted. I mean, I guess with the way the draft is set up, the second rounders, like, kind of have a little bit of agency over whether or not they get picked and maybe Terrence Davis sort of felt a little bit like the second round lifestyle wasn't for him and he wanted to go this route. So he sort of worked himself out of being drafted perhaps by just like what he was saying to teams but um, I I, I just I don't know I don't know are you kind of with me there that like if the Raptors see something in him you're just going to trust them and see how it plays out over the course of the next couple of years
0: yeah I mean you always have to bet on the Raptors development staff really they've done such a good job with so many guys and he really does fit the Raptors mold I mean he's a tweener guard who's 6'4 with a 6'9 wingspan mm-hmm. so you know the Norman Powell-type mold. He he didn't shoot well his first two years in college, but he got better in his last year. And he's a movement shooter, which is a really good thing. He, mm-hmm. he He's shot well cut off movement. He's shot a little bit of some signs that the pull-up game might be developing, but it's not really there yet. And he's got a lot of room to grow. He just seems like a Raptors guy from the reading... And I've done some film watching in the last couple days too. He looks like the type of player the Raptors really like, and you know, with Delon Wright gone, with Norman Powell taking a bigger role, this you they can always use more of those guys.
2: Yeah, you can never be too uh, chock full of potentially talented wings and guards, I suppose. And, and I wonder. So we're kind of going all over the place. We'll get back to Rondé and Stanley Johnson in just a second. But um, so Terrence Davis, t- t- I guess technically a shooting guard. But right now the Raptors only have two point guards on the roster. They have Fred and they have Kyle. And considering the way, A, Kyle, you know, seems to do better when he's managed a little bit minutes-wise and is fresh for, you know, when he plays 30 to 32 minutes, he's a lot more fresh, obviously, than he would be to play 35 to 38, and that's only going to get more true as he gets deeper into his 30s. And also considering the Raptors like to use two-point guard lineups a lot, and Fred and Kyle figures to be kind of what they close most games with next season, unless they're playing super big teams like Philly, I I wonder if maybe they're, like, I, I don't know, would you feel, like, uneasy if Terrence Davis were gifted, like, the third point guard job? just like out of camp because he feels like the closest thing on the roster outside of those two guards to be a point guard on the team? Or do you think there's someone else out there that they should be targeting? You know, they don't have much money left to work with. I believe our pal Daniel Hackett, after crunching the numbers off the Patrick McCaw deal, they have something like 4300000 million-ish left of their mid-level exception to work with, which should get you a solid backup at this point in the market, I suppose. But there's not that many guys out there. Um, I don't know, what, what do you sort of envision for that backup point guard spot right now? Because you have, and this is assuming the Raptors don't go teardown mode, which we can get into later if you want to, but um, I think I, I would advise against doing that at least right now. Like, What do you see for the backup point guard spot? This is a very long-winded way of asking that. Is it Terrence Davis or is it something else?
0: I think it might end up being Terrence Davis, but I'll be honest. Shot creation is the biggest concern I have about the Raptors' roster right now. Yeah. Um, Kawhi ate a lot of possessions last year for this team and made it really easy to fill gaps where they weren't having other shot creation working. And even though you know Kyle Lowry's a great passer, Marc Gasol can fill in some some of the creation where you don't have it. There just aren't a lot of guys who can create shots for themselves or others outside of those two and Fred Van Vliet in the half-court. Pascal Siakam hopefully keeps developing in that area, but the half-court creation wasn't really his best look last year either. Mm-hmm. So I do worry about that, and I think I think Terrence Davis is going to get his chance to do that. I wonder if Norman Powell's going to be looked to for a little bit more of that, and that's been very much a mixed bag throughout his career. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, Norm with the ball in his hands in any situation other than it's swung to him in the corner and he's attacking a rotating defense has never really been all that uh, thrilling to me. Uh, also not thrilling is the list of remaining free agent point guards. Uh, it's it's pretty rough, man. There's like Raymond Felton, there's uh, like Shelvin Mack, There, uh, Tyus Jones I think just got the offer sheet from the Lakers if I'm not mistaken, and then there's... Frank Mason, Trey Burke, Jimmers uh, apparently on this list, although I think he's going back overseas. Jeremy Lin's still available. Naz Long is available. Like, it's not a good crop of remaining free agent point guards. Um, do you like have a guy in mind that you'd like to see the Raptors target as their backup point guard? I think right now they're at 13 guys on the roster as it stands anyway, so they're getting pretty close, and then that doesn't even factor whatever they want to do with DeWan Hernandez. I I don't know what what are you seeing for the like whatever they do with that last roster spot. It feels like it's kind of gotta be a point guard, but I, maybe you have a different view of that.
0: I think I think I'm at the point where I I target a big man with that last roster spot and, and just kind of make it work by committee at the guard spot because you still I mean at the center position you have Ibaka and Gasol, but they're both getting on and age. I mean, a not as old as people is, but he's a guy who you want to run out there a ton of minutes. And if either of them gets hurt, you kind of want to have a third behind them. And Chris Boucher is still really skinny to play center minutes in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And Duan Hernandez, I just really... He looks like a guy who needs time Mm -hmm. when I watch him in Summer League. He looks like a guy who really needs some time in the Uh, with the 905 before he's going to be a NBA guy if he's going to get there, because when you watch him in the League, you can very clearly see that he didn't play competitive basketball last year.
2: Yeah, for sure. I I have not, admittedly, I, I tend to not watch Summer League because, uh, I don't know. I'm tired. But uh, I've also heard the same thing. And I I don't think you could expect much from the 59th overall pick who hasn't played in a year uh, to do much in Summer League right away. Um, I wonder – this might not be within their budget, but maybe because of Orlando's big man situation where they just have a million forwards and not enough sort of room to give them all time and thus we will have to slide some down to center sometimes – I wonder if you could throw Ken Birch $4 million a year over, like, three years, and the Magic would just, like, let you take him. Would you Would you do that if you're the Raptors? Just, like, you know, see if you could get Kem Birch?
0: I, I, at the very least, give his agent a call. I really like Ken Birch. I think he's a guy who will be an NBA player at some point. I, if you can get him for that price, I'd definitely look at it. Because, I mean, even if the Raptors aren't going into a rebuild mode, Gasol and Abaka each only have this year left on your contract, and you're going to need something next year. So if you can get Birch, to, Birch and his agent to agree that, you know, he's not going to get a ton of minutes next year, because he's going to be behind Abaka and Gasol in the depth center, and there's going to be nights where he's not out on the court whole lot. But after that, the Raptors have a lot of uncertainty at those positions. They have a great development history. They have a good organization. If you could say we'll sign you for Two or three years, and you're going to get playing time in year two and year three of that contract. And he's willing to work with that. I definitely think that's something the Raptors should pursue because he's a guy who can give you some quality minutes and would be great insurance policy for the team.
2: Yeah, I uh, I think I'm. I've just talked myself with the help of you into an offer sheet for Kem Birch. again. Like ma- the magic might just match it, but I also look at their depth chart and it's like, where the hell are all the minutes for their front court guys coming? And maybe there's a chance he could steal him, and then have Chris Boucher, a Montreal buddy, on the team. That would be kind of nice and fun. And uh, there could be like the poutine lineup or something in late in games when you have Chris Boucher and Ken Birch out in garbage time. That would be a blast. Uh, let's pivot back to the original reason for this podcast: the Rondé Hollis Jefferson Stanley Johnson signing. So we mentioned Rondé a little bit. Uh, we can sort of go off a little bit more on him. I agree. To my original question, that I think he will probably have the most impact on the team next year. He's had, like, pretty nice seasons with Brooklyn. Obviously not super competitive teams until last year where he was sort of a bit rotation part. I think he averaged, like, nine a game. Um, he's a good rebounder for his position and has, like, a surprisingly adept game off the bounce if you uh, just, like, eliminate the concept of shooting. Like, he could get to the rim pretty well and do stuff around there. And obviously on defense, like, he'll guard the best player on the other team, and you'll probably be pretty okay with that. And we'll sort of feed in, I think, to, you know, we've talked about how the offense might struggle and how the half-court creation might be an issue. Like, a way to mitigate that is by forcing a lot of turnovers and doing what they did this season, which is being just an absolute monster of a team in transition and having a bunch of very good wing defenders who can help force turnovers or force misses that you can run off of seems to be kind of the way to counter that, and the Raptors will definitely get that in Rondé and Stanley Johnson as well. And I I agree. I think Rondé is going to be a pretty valuable rotation piece next season because I think he will probably fill in those backup four minutes considering OG... He's probably going to take on the lion's share of his minutes as opposed to last year where he was at the four. He'll mostly be at the three, I would think, this season in starting lineups and closing lineups, probably next to Siakam. And then you have to fill in that four somehow behind Pascal a little bit. Maybe they're, they, they sort of dabble in big lineups here and there with a Ibaka at the four sometimes. But I do think Rondé kind of fits in very nicely as that easy backup power forward, considering how he rebounds. And, you know, obviously spacing issues are always going to be a thing with him, but the Raptors have enough shooters that you throw him out there with Ibaka or Gasol or and Fred and you, you throw Matt Thomas out there or something, and then all of a sudden there's some spacing around him for him to sort of work his little weird kooky drive game. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of think he... If you were to, like, rank the wing rotation right now, does he... I guess fourth in sort of the the pecking order behind Norm OG eh, probably third I guess right between between behind those two guys. Yeah, I think he's the third guy behind those
0: two guys. Um, he's gonna he's definitely gonna be their the next guy up defensively, and you just kind of have to hope that, like you said, he, he can do some things off the ball offensively. You really have to hope that he can also knock down some shots for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I. I really wonder how the Raptors are going to find their offense with Lowry sits. I mean, he's going to be playing, you have to think, at least a fair number of those minutes. And so is he going to be the guy creating with other guys spacing for him? Is Are you, the Raptors going to try to get him shooting more to help have him space for other guys? That's what I'm really curious about for his role. But he's too good of a defender not to have those minutes anyways and not to try to figure out solutions. Um, He's got a, a lot of experience, and if the Raptors are still looking to be a playoff team, that's what they're, That's what this roster seems
2: to be built to do. They're going to defend hard, they're going to make teams really work for their offense, and then
0: they're going to try to find enough solutions on a nightly basis to score enough to win the game. But they're gonna. They're calling cards goody defense again this year, and both Stanley Johnson and uh, Hollis Jefferson are guys who can really contribute at that end of the floor. And at the price the Raptor got him for, you can't really complain about having guys who can contribute in that way.
2: Yeah, I'm honestly kind of surprised it wasn't sort of inverted the way they got paid. Like, Rondé feels like a bit more of a proven commodity than Johnson, but from all accounts, it's a one-year minimum for him. And Johnson gets to two years and seven and a half, uh, which would be the biannual exception. It's a little interesting, um, but I, I'm with you. I think, you know, it's not the worst gamble to take, right? The Raptors are, you know, their whole model has been, Let's take athletes who can defend, and then we'll teach them how to shoot. And there have been mixed results, obviously. You know, Norm Powell has been sort of up and down very drastically every year of his career, but last year he was at 40% and was very quietly at 40%. And then, obviously, Siakam had his issues in the postseason, but we know exactly what he did from the corners last year in his first season of really taking a lot of threes. And, you know, OG even came in as sort of a a sketchy three-point shooter and has been about 35%. And, you know, his free throw troubles are a bit ominous there, but that was also kind of just, like, one weird stretch of, like, a month in last like last season that maybe brings down his numbers overall. It's it's hard to say with OG, but I think they've done a pretty good job of making him a passable three-point shooter at least. And it, it, there are worse bets to make than on a 23-year-old Stanley Johnson and a 24-year-old Rhonda jefferson both of whom are significantly younger than Pascal Siakam, which is so weird, um, but it is true. And... You know, if it doesn't work, yeah, you didn't really put much into them, so that's fine. And if it does work, like, damn, you got yourself a couple good 3 and D guys on your hands. Obviously, it's a tough hill to climb with both guys. Johnson's like a 37% shooter from the floor period in his career and 29 from deep. And Hollis Jefferson, better around the rim, but like 18% from three last season, 22% overall. It is a steep hill to climb, and odds suggest that, you're not gonna fix both of them. If you get any of them, it'll be one. If you get one to get to become a passable three point shooter, but I feel like the development staff the Raptors have is something that you know it's worth taking a gamble on to see if they can kind of figure those guys out. Um, when the Johnson news came down, Anthony, it was a little bit depressing because it was mere hours after Kawhi had announced his great Paul George coup and and it moved to the Clippers. And then the first news that comes out about the Raptors is the Raptors are signing Stanley Johnson. And it's like, oh, God, this is what we're in now. This is the era we're in, the post-Kawhi world. Um, I, what Do you have any hope for Stanley Johnson as a player? He is way less advanced offensively than Rondé, even with a better three-point percentage, barely. It's damning with faint praise there. Um like, do you have any hope? Stanley Johnson is like a reliable rotation guy next season, or are his offensive deficiencies so obvious and glaring that he's just you're you're kind of already writing him off before he get, even gets to the Raptors?
0: I really hope the Raptors have something in mind for him, but I'm I'm not terribly optimistic. It's funny the when the signing got announced, the first thing that came to mind for me, and I know you and I are two of the biggest Terrence Ross fans on Raptors Twitter. <laughs> Um, first thing that comes to mind for me when I think of uh, Stanley Johnson is a game from a couple of years ago, and I can't even think of the game, but a game where Johnson and Terrence Ross went head to get, head, head to head, and Terry just destroyed him. <laughs> and I don't know why that memory stuck with me, but that's that's the memory that stuck with me of Stanley Johnson. But he is a good defensive player, even if he's extremely limited offensively and. I mean, maybe it's just a change of scenery. He did play on some Detroit, a lot of personnel coming and going, and it was probably hard to really establish yourself on that team. But he, he also really didn't give them anything at that end of the floor. So I think Johnson is a, a decent risk if they can't find a way to have him contribute offensively. But if Paulus Jefferson is a... A, a solid offensive player. And if Terrence Davis can step in and play, there's a real chance that a month or two into the season, we're seeing Stanley Johnson relegated to being a guy who plays, you know, injury fill in and garbage minutes and not a ton other than that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. You yeah. mentioned Norman OG earlier. I'm, I am really optimistic about the Raptors starting lineup lineup anyways to score. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not terribly worried about that. Norm, like you said, shot 40% from three last season. But more than that, his effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot attempts was like 62%, -hmm. which is really good. And uh, when he shared the floor with Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, his effective field goal percentage was 59%, I believe. Mm -hmm. So he was good when he was out there with those guys. and That bodes well for him who I assume is going to be the starting shooting guard this season and OG gets to go back to being the starting small forward where he had his great rookie year and as, as much as OG has struggled last year he's also a guy who's we tend to forget he's only like just about to turn 22 and he's gone through a lot mm-hmm. for a guy that young in his career you know 6 months before the draft he tore his ACL he missed his first training camp He was able to play to start the season because he had a really quick recovery from the ACL injury, but those take a long time to heal. And then this past season, well, you know, everybody knows everything that went on with him, and it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just want OG to have one season where he can go from training camp to the end of the season and kind of be in the flow of the season for all of that.
2: I am totally with you, and I'm pretty bullish on OG's outlook for next season. And look, like I'm not bullish the way some people were calling him like the second Kawhi Leonard after his playoff run in 2018. Like That was, I think, unfair and unrealistic at the time. And I think it kind of set him up almost to fail in the minds of people who had really high expectations of him going into last season. And you add all of the other complicating factors, his father, his appendix, like the other injuries he suffered throughout the season... Like, yeah, it was a really tortuous season for him. And it's not surprising to me that he kind of, you know, fell out of people's minds a little bit. And honestly, uh, we wrote the book, Alex Alex Wong and I wrote the book about the the playoff run and OG's name doesn't come up at all. I think if you control F, OG Ananobi is not in the book at all, which is so depressing, but just kind of was what happened with the playoff run that he just wasn't part of the story. And that's a bummer, man. That That's a huge bummer. And I, I do I just think there's a chance that what happened last year and the amount of things that sort of sort sort of pushed OG out of the minds of people as like another really talented young player on the Raptors roster. Because I mean if you think about coming into the season I think a lot of people had just as high hopes for OG, if not higher, than they had for Pascal Siakam. Obviously, Siakam got the runway and ran away with that power forward job that he was supposed to be in competition with OG for at the start of the year. Um, And everything that happened to OG kind of just ate away at his effectiveness over the course of the season. But I think because of how, how far he's been pushed to the back burner, I think that could potentially be a good thing for him going into next year because there's not that crazy expectation on him. People aren't calling him Kawhi Leonard 2.0, and he can kind of just do what he did in his first season and become a really good 3 and D guy again. And if there was one thing about his game last season that was really encouraging, it was his defense became, like, elite. And, you know, off-ball is still going to be an issue for him because he's so big and sort of, like, he's so thick that he kind of runs into screens with a little more ease than most guys. But he is so, so damn impressive on the ball that I think there's a real chance like he you know just like he comes back and people are kind of shocked and are reminded like oh man yeah this guy's amazing and is a perfect fifth option in a starting lineup on a very good team And, you know, you can't really ask for two guys in Norm and OG, like you mentioned, to be better fourth and fifth options for you. Because I think it's pretty clearly established that it'll be Lowry and Siakam. Siakam first, Lowry second in the offensive hierarchy. I think Gasol will see sort of more, rediscover his Memphis style of offense where he's more of a go-to option. And maybe he will still pass out of three-pointers once in a while. But I think he'll have more sort of agency to go ahead and look for his own buckets just because there's no Kawhi there. And then you got Norm and OG left to pick up the scraps, left to cut, and be picked out by the two very good big man passers the Raptors have. And I think it could be really, really exciting to see those two guys come around. Like I'm, that's maybe the thing about the team I'm looking forward to the most is what OG looks like and Norm by extension. Like that, obviously, it's not Danny Green and Kawhi. It's a significant downgrade, but. I think there's still some stuff there that people have kind of forgotten about with those guys and you know that that is you know Norm's always going to be up and down I think that just kind of seems like the kind of player he is he'll have a month where he's great and a month where he kind of swoons a little bit but I I, I don't know I, I'm pretty bullish on OG in particular to have a nice bounce back season and not be like a guy who is, you're tasking with running your offense or anything but a guy who's just reliably knocking down 35 to 38 percent of his threes and is playing kick ass defense on the other end um, so I'm with you there. Another guy who's going to be part of this. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, with OG, it's easy to forget that, like, as a 20 year old rookie, he guarded the the toughest player on nearly every opposing team on nearly every night for a 59 win team.
2: And routinely and pumped those guys like he That's really impressive.
0: James Harden struggled with OG Anobi when he was a 20 year old rookie.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I I think there is um. So. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about with OG for sure. Uh, another guy who's maybe a little bit less exciting, part of that crowded wing core, and you know there's so many wings on this team now that they're just kind of like trying to replace Kawhi by committee um, that you almost forget that Patrick McCaw was a restricted free agent. The Raptors bring him back. Uh, it sounds like it's like two years, eight million, I think. Uh, Daniel Hackett, I think I saw this morning, said it's two years at four million flat each year. Um, shouts to Blake Murphy with the summer league scoop there. And, yeah, so Patrick McCaw's back. I don't know. I don't really have any opinions on Patrick McCaw. I think it was very cool that he hit his three in the finals. That was nice. The other three that he passed up uh, that led to a dunk for Surge was also cool. I don't remember anything else Patrick McCaw did this season except for just kind of run around like a maniac and take one shot every every hundred possessions or thereabouts. I don't know. Where does McCaw fit into all of this? They paid to keep him around. Maybe it was just like, we'll see, we'll take another flyer on this guy for a year, and maybe he has more of a role, and maybe we can see if we have something here. But, I don't know, do you have any hope that McCaw is like a a regular rotation guy in this team next season?
0: I've been through my game notes for Patrick McCaw from the nights I did quick reactions on Raptors Republic throughout the season. <laughs> and like, every once in a while I would have a note that he did something nice, but there wasn't even a note like that every game that he played in. And it's just like... He's a guy who every once in a while will be on the court and do something that's useful, but he's not really a useful player. I like the neat story of a guy who's never lost a playoff series, although I would say that the expectation should be that might, that'll probably change this year. <laughs> um, I won't consider the Raptors favorites to repeat just Patrick McCaw's on the roster, but it's, I mean, it's a neat story and. Sure, whatever. He, he can have a roster, but I don't think he's going to play minutes that matter.
3: This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat, led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: Yeah, I I think I'm with you. I I think if I were to, like, power rank the guys I want to see on the floor on the wing, like, I kind of want to see every other wing the Raptors have ahead of him. I want to see what they have in Terrence Davis. I want to see Matt Thomas shoot 99% on uncontested catch-and-shoot threes. I want to see uh like what they have in Stanley Johnson and Ron I want to see Norm play a heavy dose of minutes. Like I just I don't need to see Patrick McCaw make chaos on defense and refuse to shoot anymore. I I don't love the decision to bring him back, especially at that money. Um if that is in fact the amount of money he's making and you know, it is what it is, I suppose, and I I I guess he'll get spot minutes here and there. It seems like Nick Nurse likes him a little bit and he does have if you know we're talking about the point guard issue he was sort of in a pinch a guy who could bring the ball up the floor and at least initiate the offense last year I don't think you're asking Patrick McCaw to like be a point guard on 10 possessions in a row but at least he has a bit of a handle and a bit of ball handling acumen that you could in a pinch rely on him to be a backup point guard I don't know I I, I probably sound so uninspired talking about him but that's because I am because it's just Patrick McCaw um Let's uh It's very
0: possible that it, uh, it's very possible that Patrick McCaw is more locker room guy that we know. Like that's about all I can come
2: to. It's maybe he's a great guy to just have in group. Yeah, maybe he just makes mean ass PB and J's. Uh maybe he <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, that that could be it. That could be it. He could just be a very good guy and there's there's something to have very good guys having very good guys around i suppose um anthony we've gone pretty long here we'll uh leave it with this we have gone back and forth uh about the sort of concept of the raptors keeping it together for next season um and not i don't want to say that you've been pro breaking it up i just think you've been cognizant of the possibility that they could break it up and that's how I would classify it more um Whereas I have just, like, totally denied the, the possibility that, that, that they might tear it down. And I think there are lots of reasons not to tear it down. Even if you can get some sort of middling assets for the expiring guys, there's lots of reasons to not do that and just run it back. And most of them are sentimental. And I think that sentimentality has value. Um, where are you at right now in terms of, like, how you feel about what the direction of the team should be going into next season. Um, like, do you think they should just run it back with the old guys and see how good they can be and just accept that, you know, the, those expiring contracts, while might they might be valuable to other teams, may also be valuable to the Raptors themselves and, you know, maybe just keep them on the books? Or, you know, like, what what are you sort of thinking there? It should be the Raptors thinking here going into the next few months ahead of the season.
0: I've changed my mind on this, like, Twenty to thirty times in the last like four days, <laughs> I I don't know what I want them to to do. Um, I see, like I totally see your argument about the sentimental mentality of it, and I am a Kyle Lowry fan almost as much as I'm Raptors fan at this point. Mm-hmm. Part of me just wants to to see, like, if Kyle Lowry decides that he just he's got like two years left where he's going to be that level of point guard where he can can start and make a huge impact on a contender. If he looks at that and says, I want to compete for another ring, and I don't think I could do that in Toronto, I would really want the Raptors to facilitate that for him. I would want the Raptors to say, okay, you know, everything you've given our franchise, we're going to help you do this. But at the same time, if Kyle Lowry wants Raptor until he's 60, and, you know, out there playing on the court, looking like Jose Calderon last year where he couldn't defend anybody... You could sell me on that, too, because I just love watching Kyle Lowry play basketball, and, you know, I want him to be remembered as the greatest Raptor ever, whatever happens next. But also, like, I also see Masai Ujiri has wanted to do a rebuild for a long time, Mm -hmm. and that's been sort of an open secret around the NBA is that he, he really wanted to do that years and years ago when the team accidentally got good. So I think if you look at it right now, He just won a championship and Kawhi Leonard left. There's a moment where Masai feels like he has the cover to say, okay, we're going to blow it up. We're going to rebuild. This is that moment for him. And so if that's what he wants to do, then you can get some young, useful players or some draft picks by trading out those expiring veterans. I also understand that logic And it's a good time to be a seller in the NBA. There's like a third of the league sees themselves as title contenders this year. And the now veterans who are on expiring contracts, who are guys who just contributed to a championship team. And there's going to be a team that sees them as guys who can help them along the way. Maybe not this summer, because, you know, 40% of the league was just free agents. So there's a lot of guys who can't be traded right now. But in December, December 15th, when all those guys can be traded, or even at the trading deadline, there might be a lot of demand for veterans who can help a team in their playoff push. And depending on how the Raptors' season is going at that, definitely see the logic in that. But at the same time, if the Raptors just decide to run it back for one more season and be a scrappy, I don't know, 3-4 seed that makes a team work to beat them in the playoffs, that would be really fun too, and I definitely would be here for it.
2: Yeah, I think people know where I come down on it all. I see the points you're making about wanting to send a guy to you know a spot where he can win if Kyle really wants that. At the same time, like he just won a title, so I don't know. Like if he hadn't won a title yet, I think that would maybe carry a little bit more water for me. But I also don't like in this situation. I don't see Kyle having just won a title being like anxious to go win another one. Uh, and maybe that's underselling his like competitive drive or whatever, but he's also got like a family to worry about and he likes Toronto and he's got roots here. And he's got a contract through next season. And I could see him also being like, yeah, let's just have a fun season next year and run it back. And you know, maybe I'll take on more of an offensive role. I'll have some fun. I'll make my sixth all-star game. And, you know, that could be my swan song with the Raptors or they do my suggestion and sign him to like a five year, $25 million deal after next season for him to be Andre Miller until we're all dead in the, in, in the ground. And I would be very, very happy with that, too. Um, I like when it comes to the. Like the sending, yeah, like the sending guys elsewhere, like they're all on one more one year deals, right? Like they're all done after next year. You know, the veterans guys are the veteran guys are all done after next year. I can't speak words, blah. Um, so like they can go where they want after next season if they want to go chase rings. Like, I think that's also a fine sort of. Amount of time to wait to go somewhere else you want to. It seems like all the guys like being here. I mean, Gasol actively opted into his deal to be here. Obviously, there was twenty six million dollars here waiting for him, but he could have gotten something on the market to like uh, that. I think would have been something not not, not twenty six million a year, but maybe some more security beyond this season with like a three year deal for like forty million or something like that. Like a Dwayne Dedman deal. Like someone would have given Marcus all that. I think. Um, but he wanted to be here and that's cool and I think my the 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 deal breaker for me in any sort of like let's move on from the like let's, let's tear it down and move on from these guys is like there's going to be a ring ceremony and if those guys aren't there for the ring ceremony after Kawhi is already gone I think that'll be a real disservice to the fan base and a real disservice to them as well like Kyle Lowry put his ass – like literally put his ass into winning the, the Raptors a title and put it in seven years of work to do so. And for him not to be there for the ring ceremony, I feel like he, even he would be – like even if you traded him to a contender, I feel like he would be like f- left feeling jilted by that. And I, I just I, – that is – I cannot reconcile that in my brain when I think about the, like, the option of trading these guys in the offseason. Maybe the deadline, like you said, if they assess their team and they're not the three or four seed, we think they can be. Maybe injuries creep in. Maybe Siakam's you know growth is not what we expected. Maybe OG is stagnated, and you know maybe they look like more like a six, seven seed. Then I can see them doing the thing where they offload the veteran guys. But again, like I said, I think there's value in just having that money coming off your own books as opposed to going elsewhere. If you let them come off your books next summer, I know next summer is not a very good. Um, like it's not a very good free agency class obviously, but you could always use your cap space for the one season to take on bad money elsewhere for one year like bad one year deals that teams want to get off of because they want to do stuff whatever it's trade whether it's trading guys or trading for guys or, for, or signing guys who are on the market. like if you can take in bad contracts for one year, you could probably net just as many assets if not more than you would. If you were to trade those guys before this coming offseason, you know what I mean? Like, I I just, I don't think you're losing out. The opportunity cost of not trading Gasol, Ibaka, and Lowry, I don't think is very high. Because, as you said, there are a lot of teams who fancy themselves contenders, but which of those contenders is one very good point guard away from being a title winner? Like, most of those teams already have very good point guards, which is why they're in that hunt. I know the Lakers are a team that have a need for a point guard, but also they don't have anything anything to trade that should interest the Raptors at all. And so I just think you're kind of running out of options after that in terms of teams that would be good landing spots where you can get actual stuff that makes it worth trading the guy who has put his all of his sweat equity into your team and is going to go out and try to defend the title, probably to you know not great effect next season, but... He'll try nonetheless. I have no doubt that Kyle Lowry is going to try. If, if anything we know about Kyle Lowry, and so that's kind of where I come down on it. And I don't know if you have any closing thoughts on that before we wrap here, or if you're ready to hear me shut up about it.
0: I I completely agree with <laughs> you. I I see all of your points, and I want that ring ceremony with all those guys there too. I just kind of I feel like we're sentimental, and the fans are going to be it, especially after you know Kawhi left, and he left the way he did. We're going to be sentimental about those guys. I'm not 100% sold that that sentimentality plays into Masai's decision-making. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I've been... And as far as contending teams that could really use Kyle, I have two, and both of them are hard to figure out trades for. But I, I, I to me, there's two destinations that really, really fit that could really use Kyle if a trade can be made to work. And that's Denver and Philadelphia. Right. And Philadelphia is obviously, you know, sending him home. They need guys who can space the ball on the perimeter. They need guys who can create offense in the half court. He fits so well with what they do. But it's so hard to make that trade work. And basically the only way I can see to do it is if you can find a third team to take Tobias Harris's contract in December. And then, you know make that work and the third team sending something useful to the Raptors and that, once you start involving a third team, it feels like a little bit of a pipe dream to make it work Mm -hmm. and the only other one that really fits to me that sends Kyle somewhere where he's going to be happy and also gets the, you know, makes that team better is Denver and that's the same problem with it's hard to figure out a trade where I kind of landed when I started to look on this is kind of where you are it's like if you can't make that trade work, if you can't be sending somewhere where Kyle has sending him somewhere where he has a legitimate shot to win another ring right away, and where that te- it makes sense for that team to do it, there's not a lot of sense in trading him mm-hmm. because I don't want the Raptors to go send him to win forty five games in Orlando. I. Kyle deserves more than that from the Raptors. (laughs) I don't mean any offense to the Orlando man, but, like, that's what he'd be looking at in a lot of those situations. I don't want him to... If he's going to be a first or second round exit, he might as well be a first or second round exit in Toronto.
2: Yeah, I think I'm with you, totally. And, again, I'm very much on the record thinking he should retire a Raptor and they should give him a Dirk deal or something like that after he's done. And uh, I... Maybe I'm too sentimental about it, and maybe Masai, like you said, is very much not sentimental. Although, I feel like Masai has sort of painted himself with this, like, ruthless ghoul brush. But, I even think he's got a heart enough to realize, okay, trading Kyle right now probably doesn't look the greatest. Like, we just won the title. (laughs) Even I probably have a little bit of runway here to not be a ghoul. Like, I, I think... And I, I kind of think that's going to kind of prevail here. I, I, I think Messiah's talked a lot about how much he loves Kyle. The number of times he said something about that guy in his uh, like press conferences and stuff. like He loves that dude, and I think he knows exactly what he means to the fans here. And I think, you know, I, I do think it would be him doing a bad job on his part if he were to just reflexively trade Kyle because the Raptors can't win a title now. I think that, you know, as much as objectively trading a guy who you're going to lose for nothing potentially for assets is a good thing on the surface. I also think there is uh, sort of an optical thing to it, right? Like, you trade away the guy just won you a title because you can't win a title now because Kawhi left. Like, that can't look good to outside lookers-on. Like, I think that probably looks, you know, a lot like the DeMar thing did originally. Remember, there were a lot of people who were like, man, no one's going to ever go there now. And obviously, winning the title changes that, and the way Kawhi played changes that, obviously. But I do think there is some sort of element where you don't want to look as though you're the team well, that, because then he becomes Danny Ainge, right? Then he becomes Danny Ainge training Isaiah Thomas. And how has he, like, he hasn't lived that down yet, I don't think. There's still people who reference that as a, as a sticking point with the Celtics. And that was a really, really shitty thing to do after everything and Isaiah they- Thomas had done.
0: Anthony Davis referenced it when he said he wasn't going to the Celtics.
2: Exactly. So, And I think um, Kyle would I, I be something similar. You.
0: I agree with you. Bringing that up just made me think of the fact that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about the fact that, you know, when you hear guys around the league talk about Kyle Lowry, as much as he's a pest on the court, everybody in the NBA respects Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think if you were to sort of do him dirty, um, as it were.
0: He's a very beloved guy around the league, and he's got a lot of friends. It wasn't by accident that a year, last year he almost won the Teammate of the Year award.
2: Yeah, no, totally. I am uh, I'm fully on board with this Kyle Lowry, pro-Kyle Lowry sentiment, let me put it that way. <laughs> Shocking to everybody involved, I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think we'll see him traded. I think all the reasons we've laid out here, I think, are kind of the reasons why and I think we can look forward to a pretty good team next season with some interesting sort of upside plays. Upside being a relative term. Um, upside being NBA player who's not out of the league and playing in China. Um, I think you know that there is some intrigue on that front with Rondé and Stanley Johnson in particular. Terrence Davis should be fun. Sounds like he's going to be a good dunker. I'm down for good dunkers. It's been a while since the Raptors really had a killer dunker. Uh, I guess Norm sometimes, but he doesn't really bust it out all that much. So uh, I welcome that. And uh, Anthony, I welcome you to join this podcast anytime you like. Thank you so much for coming on today, man.
0: Thank you for having me. I apologize for my internet having some issues here and the nature of living in Yellowknife. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and you know talk about some players who aren't as exciting as Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> uh,
2: that's what you say for now until Rondé <clears throat> dunks on someone's head and then we'll forget about Kawhi who? Ka- what? what? Uh, Anthony, where can people check out your work? Um,
0: I'm Mostly, most of my writing right now is at Raptors Republic. This week I have a, I'm actually doing Kyle Lowry's season review and that'll be coming out this week and I recently wrote about Kawhi Leonard and the trade and the season and kind of how this whole season was the the end of that era and the beginning of something new for the Raptors going forward. I'm looking forward to writing a lot more this summer and as always on Twitter at Anthony S.M. Doyle where I tweet way too much.
2: No, you tweet? No. <laughs> yeah, uh, We love you, Anthony. And uh, keep on tweeting because uh, it keeps me intrigued at least. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it very much. Follow Anthony. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya as well. And that's deeply appreciated. Uh, you can read... I'll have a Marc Gasol season review up on Raptors HQ sometime this week. Sorry to Daniel Reynolds, who I've been uh, telling it's ready. Uh, Hey, Dan, it's going to be ready soon, I promise. I know I've been promising you for like three days, but uh, it's coming soon. Also, please order We the Champs if you have not yet picked it up. It's available in bookstores. It's available online at Amazon Indigo Triumph Books as well. And we would very much appreciate you copping that book and uh helping us out and i think you'll like it a lot And especially considering kawhi has gone now and this season will kind of just always be its own little you know flashpoint in time and uh i think it'll be cool to look back on in 10 years with the form in the form of this book so thank you very much in advance for picking it up and uh that's gonna do it thank you so much for tuning in we will talk to you next time with another episode of walked on raptors
0: A hey, prime members